0: Well, good morning and happy new year to all of you. It's good to be together, good to worship, good to, good to open God's word together. And you know what, we're just gonna dive right into that. We're not gonna waste too much time here uh, this morning. And we're gonna spend our, our time this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, the first few verses of that. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up there so you can follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. We have some out of guest services and would love to give you a Bible uh, before you leave so that you can have a copy of God's word. Because we believe God does amazing and powerful things through what he has given to us here. So like I said, we're going to be getting into chapter 12 today. But to understand chapter 12, we need to do a quick flyover of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is this whole chapter describing how people throughout the Old Testament, people all throughout the first part of the Bible, followed God in some extraordinary circumstances. Among those included in in Hebrews 11 are Rahab in verse 31. And she's the woman who put her life on the line and her family's lives on the line to help God's people. And then she joined them becoming one of God's people. Then there's Abraham in verse eight who obeyed when God said, hey, pack up everything and go. I have a wonderful land out there for you somewhere. I will make your name great and you'll have a huge family tree. I'll give you more details about all that later, but right now just go. And with that little bit of information, Abraham packed up everything and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how God was going to fulfill these promises, but Abraham obeyed and went. He just started going. And then Moses in verse 24, another example of one who walked away from a life of ease and comfort in the palaces of Egypt to be mistreated and live a hard life, leading God's people through the wilderness, because he knew that's what God wanted him to do. Those three people and many, many, many more are listed all throughout Hebrews 11. And it says that all of them have had one big thing in common. They were all making their choices and living their lives by faith. Person after person in chapter 11 says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Joseph did this. By faith, Rahab did that. On and on and on. But what does that mean? What does by faith mean? The first place we can look is, is in Hebrews 11, the very first verse. It puts it like this, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In other words, these people, they had confidence that God would fulfill his promises, whether they lived to see it or not, that they lived as though they were certain about the things God said he would do someday, even if that day was long after they were gone. The implication here then as we move into chapter 12 is that we want to be like them. We want to have faith like those who did long ago. It's like you you see how they trusted God. Let's do the same thing. Their example is worth following. Let's live by faith like they did. Let's follow God, not because it makes sense, not because we can see the whole picture, not because he's given us all the details, but because we trust God god we trust him that he is faithful and so with that backdrop we come to hebrews chapter 12 which starts off with this therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This starts off with a call to run. To run. To run with perseverance. This great cloud of witnesses. Described throughout Hebrews 11. Those who ran their race. Now it is our turn to continue to follow God. God's leading and to accomplish God's plan. For as long as he has us here. To continue running this race by faith. And and one of the things about running, and this is one of the reasons many people don't like it, is that it's active. It requires you to do something. You cannot sit on your couch and run at the same time. Similarly, living by faith is active. It's something we do. There are no spectators in this verse. We are all called to run. There's no one sitting back watching others run. We are called to action based upon our trust in God. If you read through Hebrews 11 carefully, you'll see that almost everything in there that people are commended for is an action. They're held out as examples not for what they believed in their heads, but for what they did with their lives as a result of what they believed. They believed God and their actions proved it. Likewise, Running our race of faith means that as we go through life it should be evident that we really trust God. That the choices we make on a day in and day out basis the things that we do the decisions we make that you can tell we actually believe him. We believe what he said. And this running it's hard, so we have to be ready to persevere, to run with perseverance. And part of that is because of the author of Hebrews is saying more than just run. We're supposed to consider how we can run our best. And to do that, we need to get rid of anything that's slowing us down or holding us back. Now, the most obvious thing we need to get rid of is stated here as Sin. And that just makes sense, right? If we're running a race of faith, if we're running a race for God, then the things that God says are evil and the things that he says we shouldn't do, those should be not with us as we run this race. Things like pride and greed and deceit and gossip and lust, there's no place for those in our lives as we run this race of faith that he's called us to. But one thing that I find oddly encouraging about this verse is how it describes sin it doesn't just say throw off sin it says throw off sin that so easily entangles I love how honest this verse is about the struggle it is to resist sin I'm sure we all know it from experience right we get tripped up and entangled in sin more often than we'd like to, to admit. And if we look at the lives of the people. Expl- that are described in Hebrews 11. Those people says that live by faith. They struggled with this, ex- with this exact same thing. Noah. He's up there in chapter 11 verse 7. He got drunk. Jacob in verse 21. He was a thief and a liar. Moses. Talked about him a little bit earlier. Well he didn't always respond well when his temper flared. And yet they were considered faithful, even though they were far, far from perfect. So yes, we're called to throw off sin to avoid being entangled by it because sin is an offense against the God who loves us and the God that we say we love. But when we do get tripped up by sin, that does not disqualify us from running. Our race isn't over. We are to run with perseverance to get back up and continue on in the race even after a fall just like those we see throughout Hebrews 11. Now that's not an excuse to sin by any stretch, but it does acknowledge the reality that resisting sin is hard. Beyond just throwing off sin though, Hebrews 12.1 says we need to throw off everything that hinders as we run. Does anyone here know the name Eliud Kipchoge? I know a few of you do. I'm sure you do. He owns the world record for the fastest certified marathon. At 2 hours, 1 minute, and 9 seconds. That's 26.2 miles in just a shade over 2 hours. I'd guess that less than a handful of people in this room have ever in their lifetime been able to do that pace for 1 mile, let alone 26.2 For those of you like me, who, if I were out there and I heard this, I would be like trying to do the math in my head about how fast that is. That's a 437 mile. 26 times in a row. And then 0.2 for good measure. That is moving. You know, and there are actually quite a few other world records for the fastest marathon. Records like fastest marathon while continuously flipping a pancake in a frying pan, fastest marathon in a straight jacket. Fastest marathon while hula hooping, and fastest marathon while wearing a full suit of armor. None of those times, though, come even remotely close to that of Eliud Kipchoge. And I can promise you that he did not for one second consider carrying a frying pan or a hula hoop with him when he set out to break that world record. Because those things would have obviously do nothing but slow him down. There would have been an unnecessary burden as he ran his race. You see, he was setting out to run his best race and he knew a straitjacket would hinder that, his ability to do that. Believe it or not, we kind of see something similar in the Bible. Kind of. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all fishermen. And one day, Jesus met them on the shore and said, hey, come follow me. Come be my disciples. And it says that all four of them left everything and followed him. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. Now, can you imagine if they tried to follow him without leaving everything? Can you imagine if they're out there trying to like you know push their boat behind Jesus as He goes down the road, or they're trying to carry their nets with them as they follow Jesus all over the place? And you know it's awkward and it's dragging and it catches on rocks and it catches on branches and it's just frustrating. And then it's big and bulky, slowing them down. And then every night I got torn on a rock again, so I'd spend time mending it, even though they never actually use it, because that's what Jesus has called them to do now. Look, there's nothing wrong with fishing. Jesus never said that there was, but the nets would have definitely hindered them in their ability to follow Jesus on the, in the new direction that he has called them. I get it. Like a marathon with a frying pan or, or fishing gear while trying to walk through the wilderness with Jesus. Like those, those are obvious. Those are obvious hindrances. But we have hindrances in our lives as we try to run After Jesus as well. But it can be difficult for us to figure out what those are, what those things are that are hindering us from running our best, in part because it requires us to be honest about some things that we kind of like that we don't really want to give up. And we're really not very good at asking these kinds of questions either. We typically stop at, like, is it sinful? when we think about this and don't even consider is this helping me or is this hindering me as I'm running my race but that's the question this verse is asking us it's asking us to look at the events on my calendar the things I give my time and energy and attention to do, do they help me run this race of faith or are they hindering me my possessions, the things that I spend money on, do, do they help me follow Jesus? My ambitions and career goals, am I running after that raise, that promotion, that recognition harder than I'm running after Jesus? All the activities that we sign our kids, kids up for, running them from place to place, weekend tournaments, this thing over here, or. Are those things getting in the way of us following Jesus and us showing our kids what it means to follow Jesus? The shows that I watch, the news that I listen to, the games that I play, the apps that I habitually open and scroll through, do they make me love God and love other people more? Or are they distracting me from that? Are they hindering me from following Jesus and running the race? If you're sitting there thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't talk about fill in the blank." I hope he doesn't talk about fill in the blank. Pretend I just did. Think about that thing and evaluate whether or not it's a hindrance to you as you run your race. The author of Hebrews is challenging us to examine our lives with these kinds of hard questions. God is calling us to set aside sin and anything else that hinders us. Is that something we're willing to do? I think some of it depends on our perspective of what God is actually asking us here. Because if we're honest, it can feel like, oh man, God, you're such a killjoy. I like this stuff. Now you're making me get rid of it. But it's really not like that. It's more like this. So my wife Emily and I, we have four kids. Right now they are eight, seven, five, and four. Over fall break, we went to Great Wolf Lodge for a night. Which, if you don't know what Great Wolf Lodge is, it's an indoor water park that's about perfect for kids their age. Water slides, wave pool, lazy river, all that kinds of fun stuff. Now imagine we're there, and one of my kids insists, on bringing one of their huge stuffed animals with them everywhere, like the kind that they can't even get their arms around, the big ones. Can you imagine what their experience in the water park would be like? They wait in line to go down a water slide. And the lifeguard right at the top says, uh, you can't bring that on here." So they go back down the stairs. And then then they, they drop it and it gets wet and then like, the stuffing gets kind of lumpy and weird and they get so worried about how they're going to get it to dry out and how they're going to keep it safe now and not let it get wet again. And so instead of doing all the fun stuff in the water park, they find a chair to sit in with their stuffed animal nervous that it's going to get damaged. There's nothing wrong with having a stuffed animal. But they would be having so, they would be freed up so much more to have fun and enjoy what we're inviting them to if they left the stuffed animal in the van. If they left it behind to go and embrace what we're saying, hey, this is great, let's go have fun together, let's go do this together. And so it is with God. He's saying, like, what's hindering you from running? Set that down. Not because I want to take things away from you, but because I want to give you something better. I'm inviting you to something better. There's something better in this race that you cannot experience if you insist on holding on to that thing, set it aside and come run your best, unhindered. Come see what I have for you. To run our best, we need to throw off sin and anything that slows us down or distracts us. We also need to be prepared to run with perseverance, to run with endurance, as some translations say. And that's because at times our race will get hard. It will get painful. It might be exciting sometimes, but it also might just be mundane and boring. But no matter what faith, what it looks like, we need to pre- be prepared to keep going in our race, to keep living by faith. There's this interesting little verse tucked up there in Hebrews 11. That just struck me this week as I was looking over this passage. It's verse 13, and and, and here's what it says. It says, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. On its own, great, they were living by faith when they died. But let's stop and consider for a minute what this means and who it's talking about. These people, they trusted God and lived by faith in those big moments in their lives that get them included in the Bible, those big, exciting stories. But they didn't coast after that. They didn't sit down after that. They didn't retire from living by faith because they passed their big test. They lived by faith until their last breath. Take Noah, for example. Hebrews 11:7 says by faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen built an ark to save his family. Does anyone know how old the Bible says Noah was when the flood started? He was 600 years old when the flood started. Does anyone know how old Noah was when he died? He was 950 He was on the boat for one year, give or take a few days. 350 years after the flood, Noah was still living by faith. 350 years. Look, Noah was by no means perfect in those 350 years, but it's clear from the Bible that he continued to live by faith even when it was regular life. For three and a half centuries. He persevered by faith to the end. He finished his race well. So in this race that we're running. We need to be ready to persevere. To keep going. Primarily because of even what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Where he says. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Saving faith. Is faith that perseveres to the end. And so our perseverance is vitally important. But it's also important because we don't get to choose what our race looks like. We don't get to choose what directions it goes or what places it takes us. This verse, Hebrews 12 1, says, that the race is marked out for us. We don't choose it. God does. And he marks out different races for each and every one of us. Back to Hebrews 11. We can can see at the end of Hebrews 11 where it describes how vastly different things were for different ones of these men and women who lived by faith long ago. It starts out with some Awesome stuff. Hebrews eleven thirty-three through 35. It says this. There are others, in addition to the ones that, that are listed off before this, there are others who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now that's what I'm talking about. That seems like motivation for me to live by faith. I want God to use me in those kinds of ways. Bringing the dead back to life, administering justice, gaining what was promised and conquering kingdoms, sign me up. Make me a force for good in this world and bring good to me. That's what I want. If that's what's coming, I will live by faith. But then without missing a beat, the writer of Hebrews goes on and says, there were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Wait a second, God. That doesn't sound so good. I don't want to sign up for that. Mistreated, destitute, tortured, executed. And the crazy thing is, all of them were living by faith. By faith, some conquered and some were tortured. By faith, some were resurrected and some were executed. By faith, some were strong and powerful, while others were destitute and mistreated. Every single one of them living by faith. Every single one of them trusting God. For some, that faith gave them the strength to do mighty and miraculous things. For others, that faith gave them the strength to endure unimaginable pain and hardship. The difference was not how good or strong their faith was. The difference was the race that God had marked out for them to run. That is the only difference. So here in Hebrews 12, we aren't told to choose the route we're going to run. We're told to persevere as we run the race God has marked out for us. That is a very, very important difference. Because if it were up to me, there would be a lot more conquering and gaining what was promised in my race than jeering and mistreatment, let alone the other horrible things listed there. But that is not my choice. I'm called to believe and trust and live by faith and persevere no matter what, no matter where my race takes me. And that's why the next two verses, Hebrews 12, two and three are so important. We'll get a running start as we look at them by picking up the end of verse one. Here's what it says. our eyes on Jesus. God doesn't here just give, this command, give us this command to run and to persevere and then just leave it at that. He says, as you run, you'll need Jesus every step of the way. So keep your eyes on him. Consider him. Keep him in mind. Keep him in view so you don't grow weary or lose heart. doesn't say, you know, glance at Jesus every now and then. It's not, you know, look up from your phone occasionally to make sure you're still on the road. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, permanently set them on him for encouragement as we run. The writer of Hebrews then in this verse gives us two snapshots of Jesus. Pictures of Jesus to fix our eyes on. The first one is of Jesus on the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. In this picture that he gives us, we see the indescribable love of Jesus. We see Jesus laying down his life for us. We see him persevering for us. Even while being jeered, flogged, chained, imprisoned, mistreated, tortured, and put to death. We see compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness freely offered to sinners like us. We see a God who would stop at nothing to restore what is broken. To bring us back to him. What a picture this is for us to fix our eyes upon. A picture of a loving savior whose race led him to the cross and he did not blink. He persevered. There is no greater love than that. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see. This picture of Jesus on the cross and to see his great love for us. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He gives us a second picture of Jesus to fix our eyes on. It's the picture of Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, Jesus went to the cross. Yes, Jesus died. But as you may have heard, he did not stay dead. He threw off death because nothing was going to hinder him from getting out of that grave. He came back to life. He ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down in the seat of power as the unrivaled Lord of the universe. In this picture... We see Jesus as the one who conquered the kingdoms of darkness, who administers justice, and who gained for us what was promised. So as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see this bloodied Savior, rejected, who died in our place, offering us forgiveness. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see the King who says, "All authority on heaven and Earth has been given to me." The grave is not the end for me, and it's not the end for you, if you endure in living by faith, to the end, to your last breath. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. To see our Savior's incomprehensible love. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus to see the King of Kings incomparable power. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus to see his compassion and his care. To see his majesty and authority. To see his mercy and his might. His grace and his glory. His humility and his holiness. Fix your eyes on the crucified and risen king. Fix your eyes on him so that you do not grow weary. So that you persevere. So that you do not lose heart in this race that God has marked out for you to run. No matter where it turns. No matter where it goes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That is the call of this verse. That is the call. To fix our eyes on Jesus. And it's wonderful news that Jesus does not hide himself. He does not hide himself. So if we want to see Jesus. He told us exactly where we can. He told us that he is in this book. He is in the Bible. So as we search this. We will see him. We fix our eyes on Jesus. By looking in the word. We fix our eyes on Jesus. By meeting him in prayer. He tells us he will meet us there. We fix our eyes on Jesus. By continuing to gather together. As a church family. Because Jesus says when you gather. I'm there with you. I'm in your midst. So we come. We gather expecting that God is going to move. God is going to do things. And that we will see Jesus here. And we will see Jesus, as we show and share his love, because he promised. He said, that as we give to those in need, as we comfort the hurting, as we welcome the stranger, that he will be there. That we will see him as we do those things. So, oh. We're called to run this race, to run this race with perseverance, trusting God every step of the way. Throw off all that is unnecessary. Throw off all that is holding us back. Not, not because God's holding something out, for, uh, uh, holding something from us, but because He says, "There's my Son. Run to Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Run towards what you're looking at." And it is a beautiful picture of a Savior who loves us and the King of all. So, God, I pray. I pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would grow my heart's desire to see your son. Thank you for the example of so many who have gone before us. Those throughout the pages of scripture, those in my own life, those throughout church history who have shown what it looks like to live by faith on whatever course you set out for them. God, may we run hard after you. May we be willing to lay things down that hinder us in that pursuit. And God, may we grow in our awe and wonder as we look and fix our eyes upon your son. As we see the beauty and love and majesty and glory and power that is in him. God, fix our eyes on him and help us to run. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.